Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 466 on Tuesday, the 12th of April, 2022. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where protesters complaining about emissions and fuel use cause more emissions and fuel use as people queue to get fuel, we'll be talking about the government moving the goalposts for EVs once again. We say goodbye to a cultural icon. And we find one council who are shocked at what their charges are showing. <laughs> so, go on then. What are this week's EV goalposts, Andrew? Well, the government has released a document and they now want to make the switch to 100% zero emission cars mandated, which means that they are now going to set up or they propose to set up minimum amounts of zero emission vehicles sold by manufacturers each year from 2024 up to 2035 right now that's based on well they are throwing up the banner that the ukraine conflict has shown that we should not rely on fossil fuels and internal combustion engines and we should push harder and quicker for zero emission vehicles but but hang on a minute. So uh, is this not? Surely, surely that doesn't make sense. Well, they're saying that electricity now can be generated so much more by renewable sources, which means that we won't be exposed on that front if our imported energy is cut off, which because we won't have imported right. energy. Well, that's because we didn't know we did for a long time there. We didn't need to import energy. But the challenge, uh, this doesn't make sense at all because Ukraine is... There's, you, there's a lot of problems here. There, there's a lot of problems here. First of all is Ukraine is nothing to do with oil production. The challenge is that there's a very large gas pipeline that crosses it from Russia, and it's all to do with Russian gas. And isn't quite a lot of our power here in the UK generated at the moment in gas powered power stations with that gas being imported so the ukraine issue is pushing up electricity prices not necessarily oil prices because actually the per barrel cost of brent crude as i speak and over the last few weeks is going down but we do import a certain amount of russian diesel not not as much as many other countries in europe right okay so it's diesel is the is issue. one of the issues see that the, the slight teeny weeny and by that i mean huge flaws in this discussion is that that presumes we're suddenly going to be able to have shed loads of renewable energy sources and power power generating sources which our own government and councils are blocking (laughs) My MP yes. once stood on my doorstep and told me how terrible all these wind farms looked and all the solar energy was terrible and this could be used for much better things. And he's at the same time giving approval for every flipping field around here to be turned into a warehouse. Well, again, without trying to be too political, and it's very difficult, but without trying Especially to Especially at the moment in the UK. Yes, yeah. without trying to be too political. This is very much something we have come used to in the last five years or so, is the information that has been handed out and the discussion <laughs> discussion that has been had around this is very much what they think the audience wants to hear. Yes. Because the reality of this is so much different from this because we still, 
so okay let's let's just imagine that we have now a load more renewable energy sources that are powering britain's national grid okay let's just renewable energy good by the way yeah let's just presume that's happened in the next just checks notes year and a half when this first starts to kick in it takes about 10 years to get permission for wind farms yeah when it's when this first starts to kick in (laughs) okay right i I did just just imagine okay okay, just imagine that's happened right okay i'm imagining the next thing is we have and the government has recently said this themselves at an smmt event we do not have the public charging infrastructure right at the moment. Yes, they did. They, they said that themselves. Now, whilst that is improving day on day, week on week, and all the rest of it, mm-hmm. they aren't making what they the government has declared it wants mandated. Yes. So how is this going? We are very much in danger of not having the ability to charge the vehicles that we are being told we must buy. Mm-hmm. And on top of all of that, mm-hmm. they seem to be ignoring the whole chip crisis, which VW themselves acknowledge could be for at least another two years. Yes, until 2024, they're saying. Yeah. <sighs> I saw a few reports on this, by the way, that said that the car industry had welcomed these calls. And then if you read this article down, that is not what the car industry has said at all. <laughs> yes it's yes yes by the way i heard that some of this electricity from some of these renewables was going to be coming from scotland really so you know yeah good luck with that talk about moving from one hostile government to another (laughs) i was gonna say we're not supposed to weaken our energy supply (laughs) (laughs) right just just to round out this article though the proposed ev target sales that are going that they're talking about mandating on each car manufacturer or um, register seller in this country okay from 2024 it's 22 percent. 25 it goes up and they they all go up so i'm going to go to 2030 where they want it to be 80 percent. car makers are also not going to be allowed to pool their co2 emission scores so if you're getting if you're doing better than that you're not allowed to gang up with someone who's no and and, and get paid a bit uh, and enter into a pool with others so no that the, it's got it's going to be manufacturer by manufacturer this is phenomenally poorly thought out by the way the the, i think the sentiment possibly comes from the right place i'm being really generous here uh but no i I can see i can see them trying to push people to push us the consumers and push the manufacturers to target us yes yes but it's a decision that's been made with absolutely zero consideration for any of the environment in which this has to be achieved yes it's not based in reality no it's it's la la land that one anyway should we move on before we both pop a blood vessel well just as an additional link in the show notes this there's an autocar Mm. article that talks about um that jim holder's written that talks about how the government is coming under increasing pressure from the car industry for their the government to declare exactly what when they say hybrid what do they mean a hybrid is mm-hmm. because as we discussed last week in the government's own in the government's own figures from the report they commissioned a plug-in hybrid and hybrid vehicles actually reduce co2 quite a lot in percentage terms yes. really very significantly over a petrol and a diesel vehicle not as good as an EV or a hydrogen, obviously. Oh no, it's better than hydrogen because hydrogen's different. It's Sorry. better. 
it's better than hydrogen to start with, but hydrogen improves over life. Yes. Um, when the is it green hydrogen is going to be the good hydrogen? Yes, green hydrogen's good hydrogen. Gray hydrogen's bad. Yeah, somewhere in between is blue hydrogen, if you remember rightly. <laughs> All these colours on a clear gas. Yeah, <laughs> I was taught it. No, it's clear and colourless. You obviously didn't. You didn't have the same chemistry teacher as me. There was a big difference in clear and colourless. Trust me. So um, the, you can read in this uh, article about how uh, car companies are pushing to understand this because if it can be shown, what we can probably expect is if it can be shown and how much a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid can reduce CO2, which is what is a worry, then that 2030 deadline of, oh, it's only going to be zero emission or whatever it is that they're saying is going to happen from those certain times, hmm. that may roll back a bit because the key thing is to get the biggest percentage down hopefully is what the idea is behind this yes right do you want to take us about well more fake synthetic <laughs> this show by the way is all about fueling that is the theme of this show it's just the way the news has landed it's all about fueling i'm going to talk about porsche and synthetic e-fuels mm-hmm. porsche have taken a 12 and a half percent share in hif which is the company leading the constructions of the Harai Ono e-fuels plant in Puente Arenas in Chile. And it's going to be producing synthetic fuel for use in internal combustion engine Porsche cars. I don't know if it's going to be for anyone else, but according to this article, it's Porsche cars from mid-2022. That's very keen for Porsche to do this. We first mentioned this back in, I think it was September last year. It was a while ago, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what the, they're really doubling down now. Yes, they are. This is meant to be near neutral, uh, nearly CO2 neutral, the energy being generated from renewables as well. And they're also looking at sites in the US and Australia as well. The fact is Porsche is kind of interesting. Porsche, by the way, are not intending on going and building engines specifically for use with e-fuels. Uh, when it says it's going to Porsche cars, they're anticipating using them at the track days experience centers, driving completed cars off the production lines, some motorsport, and also possibly the Porsche Super Cup as well. So that's when it says it's going to Porsche cars. But could you imagine down the line where you actually uh, buy your Porsche and then you pay, a, a, I don't know, a subscription, a certain amount per year for a certain amount of e-fuel mm. to run your car on? But be interesting if they can do this and it can be as clean as as they're hoping because i know that there's there's a lot of there's a lot of people holding out hope that this is the way because then we can still use the the engines we have without having to dig up yeah. new or develop new technology or and you know using up precious metals etc 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 and digging more making more mm-hmm. of a mess of the environment but there's also equally a lot of people saying it's just not going to happen you cannot do what they're saying you can do. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can do this. For me, actually, the downstream, uh, so not so much the manufacturing, but actually the logistics of getting it from the from the manufacturing plant to the end, the end consumer usage, especially in somewhere like Chile. That, to me, sounds like the really tricky part of this. Well, they're saying it can be used in uh, aviation, um, and I think they mention also ships as well. So maybe they're making their own fuel to transport this fuel around. 
make the fuel to transport the fuel to yeah okay well yeah fair enough uh, but to be honest from that transportation factor and for the ability to generate locally i do wonder if uh, hydrogen combustion as opposed to hydrogen fuel cell as toyota are try have trialing and demonstrated and jcb as well for that matter hmm. might have something in it we can only wait and see and stand on the sidelines and watch and see just just how people get on with this yeah yeah. hopefully it'll happen hopefully yeah. it's the right thing well anyone who listens to us knows that we're very big proponents and there being many options to solve mm. these problems and we the more option more viable proper options there are the better yeah absolutely uh but motorway charging for evs has almost become a viable option Yes, it has. Uh, GridServe has now confirmed that the electric highway that used to be Ecotricity, but the electric highway charging points have now all been upgraded on UK motorways, yes. bringing a cheer to anyone who has ever tried to charge on the motorway who didn't own a Tesla. Apart from one person who I saw on Twitter was complaining that, oh, but it's two months later than they said. Yes, I saw that. At which point I went... Six which months. I saw, six months. Was it six months later? Yeah. I don't... By that point, I was at the stage of, I don't care. They've got rid of those rotten old chargers. Yeah. This is very good news. I, by the way, have only heard good things about the about GridSource charging network. I've not had an opportunity to use it yet, but I've only heard good things about it. Yep. So that's... Oh, that's one stress out of the way if you go on the motorways. Well, it is. I mean, it's still not cheap. No, but it's uh, but it's definitely less stressful. Well, it's not ionity, kidney expensive. But it's <laughs> no, that's a, that's that's only the um, yes. Pay yeah, as you go. Not. The pay, not if you've got the subscription. I understand the subscription is cheaper. But... This is the if you just rock up and try and use it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So no, that's great news. Really good news, especially for those of us who've been caught out by those in the past and just had chosen to decide they to pretend they just didn't exist anymore. I need to hand over to our uh, heavy goods vehicle specialist. It's not just that, but it's <laughs> hydrogen as well this time. Scania. Scania, if we're being uh, technically correct, and that's my pathetic uh, Swedish pronunciation, have started on a project to develop 20 fuel cell electric trucks with Cummins. The idea being that they will run on green hydrogen. So that's uh, renewable uh, hydrogen cracked by renewable sources. One of the reasons that this is worth commenting on is that up until this, Scania have always been on about battery electric heavy goods vehicles or goods vehicles in general. Uh, they've always said, no, 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 plenty of batteries. Batteries are going to be the way forward. And they have poo-pooed uh, hydrogen. So this is quite a significant change in tactic mm. here. One of the things that's interesting about Scania, of course, is that it's part of Volkswagen Group. And Volkswagen Group generally have been very, very dismissive of hydrogen as one of the potential choices. Now, hydrogen, as we know, into passenger cars for normal people going normal places, maybe not going to be the best option. Certain, certain things with cars might work. But for heavy goods vehicles, it starts to make much more sense with a fuel cell. It's much easier to store. It can be charged, charged, inverted commas, uh, far more quickly than the massive batteries needed to run uh, an HGV over large distances. Not talking about last mile deliveries or anything like that, or even relatively local deliveries. But for longer runs, then hydrogen makes a lot of sense so once cummins has has made some tweaks to the previously battery <laughs> um electric scanners <laughs> and that's actually what's happening 
going to this. The 20 trucks will be delivered to high trucks in 2024. And that high trucks project is a joint initiative between Air Liquid and the Port of Rotterdam Authority. So obviously it's in the Netherlands mm. as well. But just really interesting to see more companies looking at different ways of solving this problem. Yeah, it really smacks a lot of the Tesco trial that we discussed a few weeks ago where they're they're, they're keeping it a very tight remit of what they're using it in so that they can understand all the foibles they just don't know they don't know yeah well and that's yeah exactly tesco it's with with ev of course we've talked before a while ago a couple of years ago now probably about three years ago about oh migro it's migro isn't it one of the the swiss supermarket chains Mm running hydrogen Hyundai trucks, actually, in yep. Switzerland for their deliveries into into their city center locations because they've got loads of loads of little stores like, um, I don't know, locals, essentially we would call it here, there and in train stations and all sorts of places in across Switzerland. They've been running that. No idea how that's been going, but it has been going for a couple of years now. So mm. I'm sure someone will chime in and we'll know all about that. Yep. I am going to take us back to Chargers. This is the news that Genie Point, the rapid charging company, has joined ZapMap's ZapPay system. They are the fourth network to join it. The idea behind ZapPay is that it's just this one central point in which you pay that no matter which of the charging networks you're using. So if you're on a journey, you might come across two or three of the four so far. Uh, or however many charging networks as you mm-hmm. go along, and you're just paying Zap Pay the fee. You're not worrying about then having to have the app for Genie Point, any of the others that are involved here. Osprey, ESB, Energy, and Char.G. Yes. .gy, yeah. Yeah. So if if you use or have those uh, on your routes, this seems quite a sensible way to minimize the number of apps you've got open, the number of payment systems you need to go through, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of this. This, this I, I feel, ties in. A, it's a bit similar to what you were saying about a mobility one where you just want this central mm. point to go to. And I think this is, I mean, ZapMap always seemed to me the obvious app to do this from. By the way, we are not and have not been sponsored by ZapMap, although we are open to the possibility. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, but we have used ZapMap a lot um, yep. when we were doing uh, uh, Charging Around Britain. Then ZapMap was really the planning application of choice when we were in the, in the passenger seat and trying to work out where the next charges were. This in many cases, would have could have solved quite a lot of the challenges we had there by being in in different regions uh, mm. of the country and having you know my phone full of phone full of apps. Yep, basically. Yep. Right. Do you want to say goodbye to a fuel choice? <laughs> the last fuel choice of the week, everyone. And at this time, we're talking about diesel, and we're actually also talking about the Vauxhall Corsa, uh, a vehicle we're not allowed to drive. It is now available exclusively with petrol uh, and with electric power after the diesel variant has been dropped here in the UK uh, after 35 years. Started out with a Nova, an Isuzu uh, engine, actually. Yes, yes, one and a half litre Isuzu engine in the first, in the, well, the first generation Corsa, which was the Nova in the UK in 1987. However, the current generation has only brought in 
or, or accounted for 1.4% of sales of the current generation of Corsa. That is a tenth of the proportion of electric. I can see that. Corsas. Yeah. Small so diesels. I can see they they have, will have really gone out of fashion. Yeah, well, they have. Practically nobody's offering them anymore. Mm. It doesn't surprise me at all. And of course, fleet ones, fleets are all moving from having run diesel ones to running electric. Yeah. You'll only be able to get a 1.2 litre petrol with 74 horsepower, 1.2 litre petrol with 99 horsepower, or, or a 134 horsepower battery electric powertrain with a range of 222 miles. Okay, just before we reach the end of the first part, uh, there is a new destination for UK petrol heads, and it is the Car Crowd has opened a cafe to the public, as well as allowing us all to see parts of their collection. If you remember, we had the Car Crowd on as a special edition, didn't we, Alan? Yes, yeah, so I did a special edition, I had a chat to David Spickett of the Car Crowd. I've since met him in person at the NEC as well. The Car Crowd it offers you the opportunity to invest in a one or more classic cars there'll be a link to the special edition in the show notes i'm sure uh, but even then dave said at the time we're looking to open this destination cafe open over the weekends and at the end of the week be able to hold some events and stuff there and also uh people who have invested who are who are part of the of, of the club slash group then they can come and they can see the cars and, and look at them and, and and you know know that they're real as much as anything else i think <laughs> yes. and they are real i mean i've seen them they they take them to shows they they do actually show them off i think this this sounds interesting and and i'll be trying to make a, a trip up there yeah the car crowd calf is on mansfield road in nottinghamshire with the full address in the show notes if i can get down that way i certainly will pop in they're open thursdays and fridays at 9am to 8pm and the weekends from 9 till 3pm. Yep, I'm going to try and make my way there uh, in the very near future as well. Mm-hmm. That takes us to roughly the middle-ish of the show. No, end of the first part. It's not a middle, though. The end of the first part. We've stopped saying the middle because it's never the middle. And that means that it's Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the Motoring Podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise available from our website and spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we completely understand that, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, because you're awesome, then thank you very much. The last thing you can do, of course, is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Yes, thank you, everyone who does. Still no WRC. We're still... <laughs> Massive gap. This feels, yes. like, this feels like the early days of Formula E type gap of, yeah, we've had a race. Yeah, remember that? It was months ago. Well, they, I tell you what, this hybrid system better not have any problems now. <laughs> They've had all this time to work on it. <laughs> yeah. But we've got new new car news, haven't we? We do. And we start with the smart hashtag one, I believe is how you're meant to say it. Oh, yeah. It, it, you are, yes. Not number one. So, no, no, it's a hashtag one. It's a hashtag <sighs> one. I have seen people explain this to, explain this out loud. So this is the new smart, which isn't really related to the old smart. Uh, smart is now a, essentially a Geely brand, or certainly 
50% a Geely brand, the other half still belonging to Mercedes-Benz. It's not going to be built in the French factory like most previous smarts. That's because Ineos is in there. It's going to be built in China. Yes, Ineos is in there. I saw an interesting thing today, actually, which was somebody was asking about Smart 4.2 and if it's still a thing. And supposedly, yes, as part of the deal, Ineos are finishing off building the final Smart 4.2s. Oh, okay. By the way, the other Smart that wasn't built there, I believe, was the Smart 4.4, the original one, uh, which was built at the Nedcar factory in Holland. And if I'm wrong, no doubt somebody will tell me by Mitsubishi mm-hmm. on the Mitsubishi quote line. meanwhile back on the farm the hashtag one is a premium oriented crossover supposedly and it's about the same size as the renault megane e-tech don't know what size that is and the kia nero ev i do know what size that is supposed to be about the same length as an id3 that's what I, yes. so I've seen somebody say that, so that that helped me. That makes a lot of sense because that's about the same size as a Kia Nero, in my mind. So so yeah, so that's that's a reasonable size. It's all about uh, maximizing interior space, though, and supposedly the cabin has a similar size to that of a Mercedes Benz E Class. Nothing's been homologated. Uh, there are no official range figures yet, uh, but it does have a sixty-six kilowatt hour nickel manganese cobalt battery. Suppose that's good, uh, with a range of about 273 miles, and it will take a 150 kilowatt rapid charging, which means 10 to 80 percent should be able to happen in less than half an hour. Other than the speed of that charging, it seems to make uh, a lot of sense. On the, um, it seems a, a very similar to the uh, Hyundai Kona EV mm. as well. Yeah, looks quite smart inside. It's got infotainment, which has a <laughs> Which has an avatar to help you, uh, which is as Fox, but there'll be other characters that come with future updates. I wonder if there'll be one in the shape of a paperclip. That's what that makes me think of. Mm. It looks like you're trying to drive somewhere. Would you like help with that? Mr. DNA. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Lots of bits and pieces about over-the-air updates, all that kind of stuff. Price-wise, they're trying to put it on a level with the ID3 as well. Size. That suggests a starting price of around £35,000, it seems. That's also cheaper than the Mercedes-Benz EQA uh, as well, because you don't want to have too much competition in that space. Some versions of this will come with a mere 268 brake horsepower. Does that sound sensible or reasonable, given what we've told you about the rest of the vehicle? It seems a bit excessive for something that's meant to be little blobby and friendly, and it is well, quite blobby and friendly. I mean, if if we look at it, uh, someone's taken a Mini Countryman and a Vauxhall Adam and got them together. I am not a fan of the looks. I, I, I it, it, do, do you know what? Smart are doing a job of reinventing themselves completely. There is nothing that ties this back to previous models in looks at all apart from the badge yeah no there isn't there's no trident there's nothing like that i kind of i see what you mean i that hadn't twigged i always quite like the Vauxhall adam actually i think the smart's kind of cuddly and blobby in a sort of manga character pokemon way mr stay puff or whatever it's it's called something like that um but it's I, i don't know i'd like to see it in something other than white to be honest I'd like to see it in the flesh, and I'd like and to not see it in the other than the over-photoshopped press photos. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a 
it's yeah well that's that's been a constant grumble of mine actually uh, let's see what yeah. it looks like in real life i think it might be all right actually i just think it seems grossly overpowerful but maybe that's the more powerful version there's no i think there's all not a lot of detail generally are these days though i think that's just a the way that it's got going at the moment hopefully that will all calm down and we'll sort of go for actually so. range smaller batteries and all the you know stuff we've talked about many times yeah I, I think a lot of it is look look it's not a milk float yeah i think it's all a lot of this is down to the the reva Wiz and it's ilk and everyone going no no it's proper it's proper honestly it's like a proper car and mm. you know that is one of the things that tesla have done very very well yeah uh, to enable evs to actually take off was going look they don't all have to be rubbish and slow but on the other hand it does seem to be pushing a little bit far now i think we'll probably stabilize and plateau if we don't mind please people yeah and i think going back to the review we did recently of the ionic 5 they do that quite well whilst it still is no slouch hmm. the there is no we can do naught to 62 in an eye-wateringly fast amount yeah, yeah. faster think, than you that... are possibly able to cope with <laughs> I think the Korean brands are quite sensible on that. Yeah, mm. yeah I think yep. they've got a nice balance uh, in there between, yes, it will shift, but no, it's not going to sling you off the road because yep. it's not really meant to do that. Anyway, waffling a lot on this one, uh, so I shall let you move on to the next story. Yep, it is the lunchtime read. And on the week that the Ford Mondeo, the last Ford Mondeo has rolled off the Ford production line, there is an excellent piece in autocar that goes through the highs and lows of the Mondeo, goes through its its many iterations from the, well, shocking Mark I compared to the Sierra, through to some rather smart versions, I thought. You um, mean the shockingly good Mark I compared to the well, it, Sierra? I think that's well, it what was you mean. There was a shocking the, step. Shock in terms of the looks alone, let alone the fact it was actually good. <laughs> and suddenly everyone else in that target market who is producing cars suddenly realized, oh, we have to make things that can be driven. Oh, hang on. Apart from Peugeot who were doing that, because it really yes. unseated the Peugeot 405 was always the one that it had to beat. Mm. In in my memory, at least, your your mileage may vary, people. Yeah. I mean, I remember when Autocar, they did, did they do something like 10,000 or 12,000 miles in a week? Something mad. Some ri- there, was one, there was one mad thing they did with it, yeah. It was back and forth across Europe. It was absolutely, absolutely nuts. 24 hours a day for a week, which was, that was really quite something when it came out. That's how important it was. And it felt like most of the magazine was about it. Yeah. I'd love to actually look that out. Obviously, I used to have a copy, but um, but yeah, I um, I was made to bin it along with thousands of other copies of Autocar. <laughs> Uh, one last thing on that, though, that it isn't actually the last Mondeo. Ironically, the, the car with, with the global moniker is now going to be China and Far East only. There is about to be a Mark V Mondeo, but not for here and not for North America. No. Nope. SUVs all the way. Yeehaw. Mm-hmm. So I'm just present. <laughs> uh, list of the week this week from Haggerty they write so many of them and they're all pretty good uh, but this one is 10 unexceptional classics british edition 10 unexceptional british classic cars yep andrew <laughs> do you have any particular ones you would choose here any that stand out for you for good or otherwise well this is a first actually in our <laughs> list of the week that i have to reject 
every option because I have either been in, been driven in one, or have driven every single one on the list, and I like none of them. And I want to say right now, I put this in our show because I thought it was a good list. Unknowingly, it fell to me this time. (laughs) So, Alan... Have you got a car that stands out for you? Because I, I don't like any of them. Actually, the trouble is, I can pick a few of them, and not because I like them, but not necessarily because I like them, but because I have memories of them. Oh, oh, oh I had one earlier on them. Yes, I am. I'm going to choose the Austin Maxi, everyone. There we go. I was part potty trained on the bonnet of an Austin Maxi, as my parents tell me. They had a good one. They were parked at the time, right? It wasn't sort of like on the dual <laughs> carriageway. Yeah. yeah, no, on the French auto route. Yeah. yeah. So no, they were actually parked at the time. Well, the colour of the Maxi in the, in the article is the correct one. Yeah, his 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 was red, I would like to point out. Um, <laughs> not not the russet or autumn russet or whatever it's called. His one was red. He had a sole series of BL company cars from this era because he worked for one of the big uh, dealership networks at the time. And yeah, he and my mom and two friends took me when I was about 18 months old to Saint-Tropez for a camping holiday, self-catering holiday for, I think, a week or a fortnight, whatever. And Dad and Uncle Ken drove all the way in Dad's Maxi. You think you're going on a long trip, try Lanarkshire to Saint-Tropez in 1979. Where you had to get up half an hour before you went to bed. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> not dissimilar, yeah. He's the same these days, to be honest. And back by Maxi. No problems at all. Fitted loads of stuff in, was really comfortable. It seems that it was a good one. Plus the fact that, obviously, all the company cars at the dealership just went straight in for warranty if there was anything wrong with them. I don't remember it particularly well, but there are photos to prove it. And yeah, my, my folks remember that Maxi quite fondly for a company car. Okay, nice, nice choice. There we go. But another link in the uh, show notes is that this ties into the fact that Haggerty's Festival of the Unexceptional, which, as you know, is on the 30th of July this year, the tickets mm-hmm. have gone on sale. So act fast. There is a link in the show notes. And you can book your tickets uh, via a link uh, on the Haggerty article to an Eventbrite. Um, So get in there quickly, get it sorted. It seems like most of car Twitter stroke weird car Twitter will be there. And if it's anywhere near as good as last year, it should be brilliant to view from afar, unfortunately, but view. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. Should be good. Should be good. Bring just to this week's and finally andrew this is very much on your kind of topic well part of it is my topic yes the isle of Wight, the council there has had a problem or two with their charges at the key road ride cross street cows and mower place in freshwater where they have been hacked and unfortunately it has been called inappropriate. Websites have shown on the screen of the chargers rather than what it should have done. They've been showing porn, everyone. Yes, they have. And I love the fact that this that this article lists exactly where you should go to try to view porn on a, on a charger. Yes. Well, the other thing as well is uh, when I looked further into this uh, article, it turned out the, the council then re- responded to the news of this 
by saying, yes, it is a priority that someone will visit and sort this problem out. Well, it will be. They will go. Not they've been and fixed it, but they will go. <laughs> it's like, oh, my word. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how many people of the council did go down there to go, is it true? Yes, it is. And there's like this constant queue of cars. Easy to find them. They're the ones with the, the, the group of teenage boys standing around them. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, dear. Yes, let's connect everything up, shall we? Yes, that's a great idea. Well, they do have to be connected, obviously, for payment yep. reasons and stuff like that. But, yeah, maybe protect it a little bit, folks. Mm hmm Oh, dear. <laughs> that's, that made me chuckle when I, when I read that one. Um, uh, what have we got? A couple of uh, parish notes. Obviously, there was a the I Go Cross 150 video put out last week. Yep. Very good. And just prior to that was the uh, Volkswagen Arteon Shooting Brake Special Edition. Yeah, I think that was about it for, for recent stuff. Yep. Obviously, Zoom Zoom is it's on YouTube as well from the, right at the start of the month. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's there too. And that, I think, Mr. Clues, is it, isn't it, for this week? I think it is for this evening. Okay. In which case, folks, don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Uh, remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to know any more interesting family stories of how you were potty trained, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you personally? <laughs> uh, the best way is probably via Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y for the spelling aficionados. Uh, we'll be back quite soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.